0: For many things in life, it takes time and effort before you can see meaningful improvement. But luckily for us, eating better is easy with Factor's delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every meal from Factor is fresh, never frozen, and is chef-crafted and ready to go in just two minutes. There are over 35 different options to choose from every week, and it doesn't just stop at lunch or dinner, they also have a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Truly every meal I've had from Factor has been delicious, but most importantly for me, it's beyond easy with no cooking or prep and especially no cleanup. Plus Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved. So I'm saving money and eating healthier even on the days when I don't feel like cooking. If you'd like to get started today and get after your goals, head to factormeals.com slash lightspeed50 and use code lightspeed50 to get 50% off. That's code LIGHTSPEED50 at factormeals.com slash LIGHTSPEED50 to get 50% off. Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side? Even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android. Or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Lightspeed.
1: Welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. Here at Lightspeed, we are excited to publish this special issue, People of Color Destroys Science Fiction. Our guest editors and original fiction editors for this special issue are Nalo Hopkinson and Christine Ong Muslim. Our reprints were selected by Nisi Shawl. Our flash fiction was curated by Barrett Ellingson. Our nonfiction was edited by Grace Dillon. Our podcast guest producer is Vicus Adam, and your guest host, writer, narrator, and blogger, Rajan Khanna. me. People of Color Destroy Science Fiction contains 14 science fiction stories. 10 original, never-before-published pieces alongside four science fiction classics, and 10 bite-sized flash stories. There's also an array of non-fiction features, as well as interviews with several of the authors. This podcast will bring you eight of our fiction selections this month, but if you want to get the whole issue, the e-book is available for just $3.99 or if you like your fiction in an analog form, the trade paperback edition is available for $17.99. It is both an honor and a delight to bring Lightspeed Magazine to you in this special celebration of POC creators writing and editing short science fiction. If you enjoy these podcasts and would like to learn more about the Destroy projects, including where you can purchase the whole issue in ebook or trade paperback format, please visit DestroySF.com com. So this first story deals with exploitation and it got me thinking about colonialism and how different cultures have been exploited for their natural resources, be it gold or diamonds or minerals in the Americas, in Africa, all over the world. And also about how colonialism seems perfectly suited for science fiction. Stories about mankind colonizing other worlds or stories about aliens coming to colonize the Earth. However, when I think back to what I grew up with in science fiction, and some of the stories that came up when I was Googling about this topic, they seem to be written by mostly white men. One of the most famous is H.G. Wells in War of the Worlds. And in that story, he was making a commentary on British colonialism, but he was making that from the British side from being inside the empire and looking out at how it was treating its colonies. What there wasn't a lot of in that time period was the viewpoint of the person on the other end of colonialism. That perspective is an entirely different perspective. They have a very unique point of view, and one that, up until recently, hasn't always been heard within science fiction. Those voices exist. And yet, up until recently, they had a hard time finding their way into the modern science fiction community. That's why it's great that Lightspeed is running this issue, because it gives a voice and more access to people who have a different point of view to talk about these stories. And by doing so, we get not only great science fiction, but we also get a greater insight into the world around us and the people who live there. Our story this week is Hiranya Garba by Kevin Jared Hossein. It's read for you by Vickis Adam. The special issue is sponsored by our friends at Tor Books. Learn more at torbooks.com. And now, our story.
2: Hiranya Garba by Kevin Jared Hossein Remember when I first see it while boating through the mangroves in Karani Swamp? was early morning. You could have still see the flicker of a candle fly here and there. I was following a trail of dead tilapia floating belly up in the water. Wasn't the first time I see something like that. But not to this extent. Their lifeless bodies was washing up on the silt. Black halos of corbeau circling overhead like angels of death. Wasn't the tilapia alone? Fiddler crabs, by the score, was piling up themselves in a corpse slag heap. When I stopped to take a closer look at them, I noticed these bands of gold on their carapaces, faded and speckled. Next to them was a scarlet ibis, still alive, kicking a spasm out of its leg, wings shuddering in the moist cold. I tiptoed closer to an ibis corpse, my boots crunching foliage with each step and prod its wing with a twig. The underside of the feathers, a dried crackle of gold. Then my eyes turned to the mangrove roots. The oysters clinging onto them like yellow cysts, polished with an oil-filmed shimmer. The gold hue even started to splinter through the root bark. But then it catched my eye. The gold was leaking through this thick cluster of mangrove. The damn thing was bleeding, murking up the lime-green water. I stand up straight, throat gone dry, never seen nothing like that before, wanted to scramble my ass back on that boat and row all the way home, but spirits whispering to me, Balgobin boy, you had to see this, you had to come closer, so I went closer, in my mind I step outside my body, an invisible spectre drifting towards the golden water, but I stop myself, I had to call Yadav to see this. So when Yadav and me come back to the spot, we come prepared, camera and all. We didn't really know what to expect. To be honest, I thought we was going to find something similar to what happened in Brazil a few years back, where the Rio Doce was running red after a dam collapse and spill iron into her veins. Didn't have nothing like no oil rig or mine set up shop anywhere near Carony though. Didn't matter. We just wanted to be the first to see. At least, we could have claimed that. The water was shallow enough to wade round near the mangroves. We take a cutlass and chop a path through where the gold fluid was seeping out. The colour got deeper and deeper. I could have seen where it was coming from. I squint my eyes and bam! A frantic fish hawk nearly knocked me over. I swing my blade at it and damn near cut Yadav's head clean off. He cussed me for five minutes straight. Wasn't only the fish hawk was acting up, though. The herons was going mad, hopping and zipping from bough to bough, crashing into each other, colliding into the mangroves. Bubbles from the golden pool began, surrounded by groupers, snook, catfish. All belly up, some of them completely coated in gold. A tree boa looked down at the pool. Its body looped round itself in a double knot probably the only animal not joining in the cacophony. Yadav, who was almost as loud as the birds, dwindled into silence when he laid eyes on the shimmering pool. My chest tensed up and tickled like there was a humming in it. The pool was an unnatural gold. Unnatural to the swamp and everything round it. Couldn't even tell if it was solid or liquid. Reminded me of them gluttonous algal blooms you'd see in ponds near farms. Was it a sap? Leakage from some pipe we didn't know nothing of? Maybe some radioactive mineral? It had a slight glow. Honestly, first thing I thought about when I saw it was Hiranyagarbha from the Vedas, the golden womb that was the source of all the universe. But this thing wasn't sacred. I wasn't going near it, but Yadav dipped his hands, his bare hands, in it. It's warm, he said. When he pulled his fingers out, they were gold. Your fingers are right, I ask him. Just numb. Can't feel much, he say. Later in the day, the gold creep along to his palm and then his wrist. By the time morning come, it infest his entire arm. His arm wasn't solid gold, no. It had the texture of a scab. We rush him to the hospital, but nobody know what to do except drown him in sedatives. They call a man, who then call a the next man, and before we know it, had a team of university researchers and scientists standing over Yadov's cot, fingers to lips, silently observing the golden scab as it spread to his collar. Before nightfall, it engulfed his neck, and he was dead. The docs say that it collapsed the cartilage in his windpipe. Two months later, three white men fly down here to Trinidad, asking me to see the pool. They tell me that they's from an American TV show, Paranormalists or something like that. I ain't gone back to the pool since the time with Yadav, and sure as shit ain't want to now. But the money they's offering, shit, that is white people money. Let me tell you, you ain't never gone see a check like that selling oysters and mixing ketchup and cilantro. You ain't never gonna see a cheque like that selling oysters and mixing ketchup and cilantro. So, we on the boat and they're already filming on and off. Scott, the host, doesn't like the name Balgobin. So he called me Gobi instead. Before the camera comes on, he asked me. What do you people call this thing? I see. We call it Garba from... No. No, no, no. He shakes his head. Too many syllables. Too ethnic. This isn't National Geographic, buddy. Come up with something catchy. I shrug. Golden Pond? Golden Pond? Scott twists his mouth. Is this a fucking joke? Are we making a Katharine Hepburn movie? Katharine who? Fuck it, Scott says. Jones, use that noggin of yours. Midas Creek, Jones, one of the cameramen says. That's rad, baby, Scott exclaims, stamping and wobbling the boat. When we finally reach the clump of mangrove where the gold spills out, they rev up the cameras again. Scott says, be, tell us about your friend's mysterious death. You were there when everything went down, weren't you? When he puts the mic to my mouth, I hesitate and stutter. Scott motions for Jones to stop. He then says, Just tell the audience nice and clean. We'll do details later with the VO. When we come up to the pool, I notice that it has expanded. Not by much, but it has spread. I feel sick. That humming, tickling feeling in my chest was back, like the first time I visited. Scott and his men is too busy capturing footage. We could see the pool. The coppice surrounding it is petrified gold. We stop just where the gold stops. What the hell is that thing? Jones asks me. I think we've found ourselves a gold mine, gentlemen. Scott says. We go back to the boat and Jones uploads the footage to the laptop. He plays some of the footage back and points out something strange to the other cameraman. What do you see? Scott asks. A strange frequency, Jones says, as he shows us a shallow oscillation on a graph as the video plays. 25 hertz. That's the vibration that was in my chest? The other cameraman asks. An extraterrestrial frequency, Jones? Scott asks, his grin widening. Do we have an alien crash landing here in the Caribbean? Give it to me, baby. No, Scott, it's... Scott cuts in. I can see it now. Our episode title. The tropical swamp thing. Exposed. What do you think? Joan shrugs and Scott's grin quickly fades. You're right. We'll be up to our asses with copyright infringements. So, the golden pool ain't enough, I want to say. Your viewers ain't care about Yadov's debt. You need a cheap-ass Hollywood monster to go with it, too? And I just blurt out, This fucking thing is probably going to engulf the world one day. Give it a couple hundred years. The men all turn to me, the boat bobbing in the marsh, the slow tickling still in our chests. Go be. That's rad, baby. Scott yells out. We'll roll with that, yeah. That's some fucking terrifying shit there. At the same time, a scarlet ibis zooms above us and crashes right dead into a mangrove tree, hitting the water. Jesus! Jones mutters as he looked at the ibis's dead body floating in the water at the mouth of the mangrove clump. Jesus can't save we now, I think. This ain't the world ending. No. This is the world's scripted rebirth. Garba. And a golden womb is here in Trinidad, in a cluster of mangroves in Caroni Swamp
1: Welcome back. You just heard Hiranyagarbha Yagarba by Kevin Jared Hossein, read by Vicus Adam. This story is copyright 2016 by Kevin Jared Hossein, and appears here by permission of the author. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please go to our website at lightspeedmagazine.com. Just click on Fiction, find the story, and leave a comment. If you'd like to read more great science fiction stories, you'll find them every month in Lightspeed Magazine. If you're not already a subscriber, check our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. Our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast. It produces the stories for this podcast. They're headed by the Audi and Grammy Award winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Music and sound logos are composed and performed by Jack Kincaid, and post-production is in association with Jim Freund. If you're interested in more great audio fiction, check out Lightspeed's audiobook anthology, Lightspeed Year One. It includes all of the podcasts from Lightspeed's first year. The collection is available on both Audible.com and Downpour.com. Just search for Lightspeed, and you're on your way. This podcast is copyright 2016 by Lightspeed Magazine. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. I'm Rajan Khanna wishing you cheers from all of us, people of color, destroying science fiction.
2: Lightspeed.
3: Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts.